Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. We've been following this story. We have an update to it, talking about the FBI and their coordinated efforts to infiltrate Black Lives Matter protests by way of nefarious means, according to many. Let me remind you of some of the story. Here it is. A special Agent Scott Dahlstrom with Special Agent uh, Byron Mitchell, uh, CHS, for meet with uh, Zebedias Hall. Thank you. You can hear this, so I put it in my front pocket, right? Yeah. Okay, got it. See how nice and slender they are? Video look good? Yep. Yeah, look handsome. Mm-hmm. Not as handsome as that kid. That's a cousin's kid. Cousin's kid. Good looking kid. All right. All right, see you guys shortly. Yep, I got it. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. All right, what you just saw was a guy named Mickey Weindecker, a convicted sex offender who was working as a confidential informant for the FBI. He was in Denver in a silver hertz full of guns, traveling around racial justice protests. And according to many, tried to set people up, infiltrate Black Lives Matter. We have two people on the program. This is going to be a fascinating discussion. Um, Mr. Zebedias Hall, activist, who was at the receiving end of much of this. Uh, Zeb, thank you for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Trevor Aronson, who is the creator of the Alphabet Boys podcast and received an anonymous, received a video from an anonymous source, was able to give us a lot of information from this context. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having us. All right, let me start for narrative sake with you, Trevor. Give us the summary of what happened, how it came to you, and what you have discovered since reporting. Well, I think it's important to remember that before the summer of 20, the FBI had previously designated black political activists as as so-called black identity extremists, a subgroup of domestic terrorism that the FBI considered anti-government extremists. So going into the summer of 2020, the FBI was predisposed to potentially see First Amendment protected activities as a result of the racial justice movement as being potentially dangerous or even national security threats. And and for for the last couple of years, although there have been rumors about agent provocateurs and infiltrators in the racial justice movement, we've not had any concrete information on on what happened. And, And what these recordings show is the first behind the scenes look at what the FBI was doing during the summer of 2020. And what they were doing in Denver was that they paid a violent felon tens of thousands of dollars to infiltrate the racial justice movement and and become a leader. And then once he was in a leadership position, he encouraged people to commit violence. A number of the demonstrations that turned violent have his fingerprints all over them. And he also tried to specifically entrap racial justice activists like Zeb in crimes that they would never have committed were it not for the FBI engineering the entire thing. And, And one last point I wanna make is that what's particularly troubling about this case 
is that a lot of the tactics that the informant uses are the same tactics that we saw FBI informants use in the 1960s against black political groups doing COINTELPRO, specifically the use of so-called snitch jacketing, which is, is, uh, which is labeling real activists and real leaders as informants in order to sow chaos and sow confusion and then take advantage of the fact that you have then sowed chaos among the groups. And it's a particularly subverting effect that happened in the 60s and we saw the same thing happen in Denver in 2020. Since this has come out, multiple United States senators have actually said something. Uh, individuals are starting to provide some level of leadership as it relates to outrage connected to this. Let me go to you, Zeb. Uh, what was your experience that what you can talk about and what was the genesis of this interaction um, with Mickey? Well, well, for starters, it's uh, been pretty scary. I've been, you know, you know, I have to park, you know, a few blocks away from my house quite often, you know, so I still have that fear of something happening to me for being involved with this. But you know, it's it's the game you play when you know something's wrong and you've got to, you know, stand up against it. Mickey, you know, the feds sent this dangerous criminal to the protest. I first met him around, I think, early June or excuse me, late June, early July. And you know, it's as if he, you know, I guess infiltrated within the, the a branch of the DSA. And you know, at that point, everyone thought he was, uh, you know, he was just personally kind of working with them. You know, it was a uh, sad, sad to say, a good cover. And through his uh, infiltration, he took a leadership role. He uh, snitched the jacket a lot of folks, uh, put everyone in danger, and ultimately, uh, with the assistance of the FBI, uh, destroyed the movement. It is just so wild that. As Trevor said, uh, this is COINTELPRO all over again. Um, and <clears throat> in the dynamics of the narrative that we heard, uh, literally, they gave him a bunch of guns and he would drive around trying to coerce or manipulate individuals to engage in some level of criminality. Is that the sentiment? From this Zeb, is that what happened according to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, and it, it's it's probably a lot even more worse than you know what we might even know now. It's uh, you know, it, I have to always remind people that you know, yeah, this happened in Denver, but you know, in comparison to other major cities, Denver is very small. And now that this story has been released, you look throughout the Twitterverse and all these uh, uh other forms of social media, and people are starting to talk out. So. It lets you know that you know Denver was just a little blip in the country, uh, at least in my opinion. I feel that uh, it could not have just been Denver, so this would have had to be over the entire country. And if it happened over the entire country, it means you know the FBI and those who worked with them quite potentially destroyed the movement over the entire country. This is not going to be easy, brother. But I need you to tell us what happened. I need you to tell us the approach. I need you to let us know what went down as much as you can. Because you giving voice to this creates power. So what happened? Yeah, it's uh, it was a very confusing summer. You know, it was uh, COVID was going on. That uh, then you know a gentleman was uh, murdered, screaming for his mother in the process. You know, uh, there are tensions everywhere, and so I guess you know when people started working together, getting along, different groups, uh, different races of folks. You know, it became a bit controversial. Uh, as often in the past, so you, they sent someone down to, I guess, uh, break that cohesion. And over time, you know, uh, he became a little, you know, more um, involved with the different leaders or speakers and whatnot. 
And, you know, it's uh, he would try to kind of bring people away, you know, to talk to him individually. And over time, you know, it's um, he started finding out information about people. So there was a protest. Even folks who might not have had some kind of leadership role, he would just gather their information. So and he would relay that back to the FBI. And what started out with the YDSA, you know, people thinking that hey, this guy is safe, you know, ends up leading to kettles or uh, people being moved into uh, 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 potential areas where they're, you know, they're going to be police at. And getting to know this guy, you know, it's it's you look back now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, he he sticks out like a sore thumb. But it's almost as if the way they put him in, you know, with a party, it made it a lot easier for people to, uh, uh, for the people to trust him, you know. And over time, you know, after a few meetings with this guy, uh, you know, um, we're at my house once, and uh, you know, he asked me quite a few questions, you know, uh, some quite quite provocative, but you know, as we learned in the beginning, you know, you never agree to do anything illegal, you know, it's just you know, you don't hurt anybody. But over time, you know, um. Look back now, it's uh, it's scary even more now, knowing that I was around it. Um, but I think what really scared me the most out of everything is when he asked me to kill the attorney general, and I said no right off the bat. You know, it's not my gig. You know, I don't want to go hurt anybody. You know, uh, so as soon as he asked me, I said no. And over the course of a uh, a meal with uh, Mr. Shelby. Uh, he's continuously trying to pressure me into doing this, so I, I'm finding any kind of way to deflect. You know, I want to work through the winter or the summer and like wait six to eight months because I don't want to like have anything to do with this assassination plot. You know, it's not just not going to solve anything. It's stupid. But I'm intimidated at this point that now I feel like I need to buy this guy this gun, and it's not the fact that you know I didn't know if he was an informer or whatnot. It's just that you know if someone's asking you to kill a public official. It's not something you're asked every day. And at that point, you know, seeing that this guy, uh, you know, um, took pictures fighting ISIS and these videos and everything, I'm thinking, hey, he's also possibly a biker. He's got all these guns and all this stuff. At this point, I'm too intimidated and I've got to get this guy this gun. But I refuse to uh, partake in any, you know, uh, strategies or attacks, you know, as everyone found out, you know, as found out, I've never even threw a pebble, you know. Mm-hmm. I, Never did anything, but I was intimidated, and you know, and yeah, I own it. Yeah, I bought the gun, but I wouldn't have done it if you know I wasn't scared of the dude. And you know what eventually came down the line, it was a. Uh, and even though it was bad, I I, I have to always look. It wasn't just me, you know. Uh, I'm just a person who knows a little more than other people who found out more. And I, it's not about me, you know. I, I don't does think I, I don't think I deserved a felony, but that's neither you know that's neither here or there. I look what did at they the end people. up charging you with? Uh, and and I think you're on probation now. Yeah, uh, uh, transferring a uh, firearm to a felon with the FBI's money. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, um, I wouldn't commit to any you know violence or whatnot. But it's like, hey, we've got to tag this big you know uh, payday on this guy. Say, hey, we caught someone, but all together you intimidated me into buying a gun for a dude, and you gave me your money to do it. So let let me go to um, Trevor. Uh, Trevor, uh, you've noted the informant was paid, I think, twenty thousand uh, dollars for his operation, so to speak. Uh, you have a book called The Terror Factory. Uh, you wrote this book in 2013, and this book, The Terror Factory, inside the FBI's manufactured war on terror, uh, you document some of this uh, already back then. 
What was it like when you received this information from an anonymous source? Right, this this practice by the FBI of using informants of with questionable histories and then entrapping vulnerable or impressionable Americans has gone gone on for a very long time. You know, the 20 years after 9/11, this was a common practice, and it had long been my theory that the FBI would use these tactics and powers that it had obtained in the post 9/11 era against racial justice demonstrators. And so I remember in the summer of 2020, this happening, knowing what I know about the FBI, having reported on the agency for all these years, I remember thinking this is likely what they're doing. And I and I was searching for that answer, that proof, I couldn't find it. And then finally, about a year ago, I remember reviewing these records and these recordings and, and seeing that they were doing exactly that, that they were using these tactics and powers from the post 9-11 era and, and treating these racial justice demonstrators as if they were domestic extremists or terrorists. And I think what's particularly troubling is that I think it's far more likely that this happened elsewhere in the country than it is that Denver was somehow anomalous, that this is right. the only place this happened. Granted, this is the only one where we know about, but it's, it's, I think it's reasonable to assume that this happened in other cities. And I think it's particularly troubling that the FBI is using these vast powers intended for anti-terrorism against political activists like Zeb and others in Denver. What happens next? Um, listen, I'm not a lawyer. I'm currently a law student. This sounds like entrapment to me. Uh, but what happens next, Trevor? What is the hope uh, based on policy, national policy, as it relates to this kind of operation? Well, one of the reasons that this happened is that for far too long, the FBI has been an agency with enormous power, but but very little oversight in Congress. And I think one thing that can help is just getting a greater level of oversight in Congress. And I think this is happening and we're revealing this at a particularly important time, which is that Jim Jordan and the Republican-led Congress are currently have a subcommittee where they're trying to construct a narrative that the FBI is specifically prejudiced against right-wing extremists and right-wing groups and is, is solely targeting those groups. And that simply is not true. The FBI has a long, long history of targeting black activists, targeting left-wing activists, and this case in Denver proves that point. And so I think if you're going to have a new so-called church committee on Capitol Hill, you really need a committee that's going to look at all of the abuses that the FBI is, is, is doing, including cases like Denver. And my hope would be that in exposing this in Alphabet Boys, that we can inspire lawmakers to take a far more critical look at what the FBI is doing with these enormous powers against people like Zeb, who were simply exercising their First Amendment protected activities when the FBI decided to launch an aggressive undercover investigation against them. Zeb, I'm flat out of time, but I want you to give us in your own words what you would like people to know. Those who are engaged in advocacy and activism, it is a work that's needed. What would you say to them? Uh, constant communication, um, that's one of the bigger things. As well as instead of criticizing people or not getting along for a few different views, you know, understand you're not all gonna have the same views. And you know, when you start talking to people with different views, in different spectrums, it'll make cohesion a lot better. And it uh, limits the uh, chance of these, uh, my opinion, these are criminal organizations from infiltrating uh, another one of our movements. And I also think it's highly imperative that people start speaking out, you know, uh, speaking their truth about everything that's happened because, you know, it's, I find it more disrespectful, the no comment than uh, the act itself. You're caught red handed, the entire country knows it. And you don't even respect black people enough to say, hey, okay, you caught us. You know, I haven't received a phone call from the uh, prosecutor or anything from the government. Um, but, you know, it's to be expected. You know, I, mm. I, I signed up for this as soon as I came out of the wound as a black man. So it's, uh, 
Uh, I have no regrets about this and it's worth it. You know, that's what life's about. If you're not fighting for something, you're not really here. And I'll let's stop at this. I started jujitsu a year and a half ago. And I learned that, you know, if you let someone roll over you on you, they're not going to stop. Yeah. So I'm not going to let the federal government roll over all of us. Thank you for folks as well. That's right. That's right. I appreciate you both. Uh, thank thank you. you for your continued advocacy. And we are going to follow this story. Naturally, there needs to be a statement and some action. And that's what we're pushing for. Appreciate you both. Thank you for having me.